The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Okay. What is your I've official a... title again? Oh, what? That's what we ask him in the show. We can, we'll find it out. No, I got in it. trouble. So here's the thing. By we whom? start introducing our guests because that's we, what you do. That's, we do do that. Okay, let's just go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Crunch. It is your boy Ethan, and I'm Patrick. And Ethan, and who, who we who we got here? Oh, today? God, you took that's my line. <laughs> my favorite thing to do is to ask you who we have on. Fine, I'll tell you, uh, Patrick. I'm so glad you asked who we have on the show today. Uh, very good friend of the podcast, close friend uh, ever since we all got into an argument with random people on Twitter years and years ago. Uh, good friend of the show. Good friend of ministry and evangelization. Good friend of people who write books. Joel Stepanek on the show. Joel, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Ethan? I'm really good. Thank you for asking. That's actually, I've, I'm having a great day. I had to walk through some rain this morning. It was a little wet, but got to go to mass. <laughs> so now it's all better. Everything's everything's good now. Yeah. Thank you for asking. What's 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 new in the in the life of Joel? Uh, it is not rainy where I'm at because I live in Phoenix. So I'm That's looking crazy. out the window. It's like 72 degrees, sunny. There are zero clouds, so I did not walk through the rain this morning. Dang. You walked through a dust storm. No, I was kissed by sunshine. Oh. <laughs> when that happens to me, I get sunburned, even if it's a, a sweet, gentle kiss. A sweet, I was outside for 50, I was standing in the sunlight coming through a window for five minutes, and I got sunburned the other day. Oof. I'm so white. How, Joel, are you pretty white? Oh, yeah. I have been brutalized by the sun my entire life. Does living in Arizona make it easier or do you just still have to constantly lather on the old SPF? It actually makes it easier because I am always aware of the sun. So I'm always putting on sunscreen. But mm. when I go someplace where you're like, Oh, it's the Midwest. Yeah. How bad can it be? It's not as hot as Phoenix. Then I get lazy and I actually oh, get yeah, my worst yeah. sunburns when I'm traveling. So it's like the sun is sort of a tyrannical dictator that you're always aware of, but then you leave maybe the capital and you think and, you're gonna have but, respite and you yeah but there are still spies and they get you yeah i got sunburned when we, when we went to kansas city and that was ridiculous because it was raining the whole time when when you when we were together in kansas city yes when we were together i've never been to kansas city it was november that. yeah you got sunburned in november listen this is my <laughs> life <laughs> that's crazy joel uh, for the people that don't know who you are, uh, give us a quick wait, 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 rundown. wait, 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 Ethan, we got okay. in trouble for this. This is what I was trying to tell you. Oh, sorry, we're supposed to introduce Joel is a guy that we know, <laughs> and he's on Twitter, and he sent. I got his book in the mail, and now he's on our podcast. Joel, is there anything that I miss? <laughs> Joel works for Life Teen. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That, he's a guy. Uh, he does stuff. No, I am the director of resource development at Life Teen. Uh, and I've written a couple of books, the most recent of which, which you had, Ethan, yeah. uh, is Chasing Humility, which just uh, came out. Actually, it's, it's not even available yet on Amazon, but you can get it other places online. 
uh, black market sources, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. You just send $50 to my house. I'll, I'll mail it to you. <laughs> Wait, did you get the hardcover book? I got the soft cover. Well, book. you got the hard copy. Yes. Well, dang, I got, I, I printed mine out. You printed out yes. 127 pages. Now here's what I did. So I put it side by side on one page and then, mm-hmm. so it was, it was a, a fourth of the book I printed out. Look, I still have $25 of printing credit at school and I don't print things. So I'm just like, take this. So you black market game. printed a book yeah. about humility. I did. That was prudent. Thank you. That was a prudent use of funds. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick got the, uh, the uncorrected advanced proof copy. I found eight <laughs> spelling errors. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You on probably the first page. <laughs> all, humility all is not page. spelled with two U's. No text. <laughs> the gibberish. Patrick, I'm sorry for introducing Joel wrong. I didn't know that we did that wrong. No, it's important. Teresa told me that we need to introduce people differently. Okay. Well, Teresa, she can start her own podcast. No, I'm kidding. Um, Joel, I've known you since I actually went to a Steubenville conference that you spoke at. That's the first time that I ever like heard about you and heard who you were. Um, and then the second time we ever interacted was when <laughs> was a thing. <laughs> is that is that the anonymous Twitter account that you write about in your book? It might be. It, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> what is... Uh, why why has has twitter so united us like what is it what is it about the the catholic uh, the twitter world yeah. that that brings us all together i think it's a great place where people get sifted into different camps yeah um i have intentionally drawn back a little bit from twitter um it's a good place full of lots of good people and i think everybody has the same goal in mind mm-hmm. but when you take things that like has become insanely famous and just so rich yeah when you take when you take things like nonverbal cues and facial expressions and tone out of conversations it's just a environment ripe for misunderstanding and oh, i think sometimes yeah. that happens um but I think it's also a great place, like in our example, where you can find other people who you're like, oh, you're doing some pretty cool things. And I have a direct line to you mm-hmm. and we can communicate. And I think that's pretty rad. I think that's one of the best parts of that community is the ability to find other people, connect with them, share ideas. And otherwise you wouldn't have the space to do that. Yeah. In the future. I'm so I, obviously right now we know like where social media is at. We know where um evangelization and social media are at together in your opinion in your professional opinion as like working for a legitimate real apostolate um for the next 5 10 15 years how do you think the role of social media in ministry and evangelization and spreading the gospel how should it change but also how do you think it actually will change <laughs> it's like two questions cuz that's that's something that i i've been trying to think and think about and look forward to and um, but it's not my full-time job to do that. So I'm just, I would love to hear your take on that. If you have one, I think it's a place where how it needs to change, or I think it's trending in this direction in some places, but as a place of encounter, like the digital continent is where everybody lives and that's not going away. Mm. Uh, when you run into people who are like, Oh man, this phase of life right now with technology, you know, short of an apocalypse that throws us back to an agrarian society, which might That'd not be, be too bad. Be uh, so some days I could go for that. Uh, <laughs> but it, this is what we have. And so I think if we become more outward focused in this is a place where seekers can anonymously encounter the faith and we recognize that reality and we start to trend our content toward that, 
that could be a game changer because people are going to be more likely to say, man, I have questions about life. And late one night at two in the morning, just start combing through religious accounts or trying to figure out information that answers big questions that doesn't require the face-to-face interaction walking into a church or even with another person. That said, I think the change has to take place. And this is not just in Catholic accounts, but I think religious accounts across the board, because you have the same thing in the evangelical world, uh, in the non-denominational world, in the Baptist world, where those communities can sometimes become really inward focused. Mm -hmm. And then people stumble across our community and they're like, oh, I'm interested in learning more about, you know, what, what are Catholic voices saying on Twitter? And then they're like, oh, oh my goodness, that's... That's There's in, a lot you know, of infighting that, here. I didn't expect that's that. a lot going on. Yeah. And then the and it, and again, it's not just the Catholic church, like right. any, any religious organization has the chance to look inward rather than say, how can we make this a place where we encounter others versus a place where we hash out our disputes? Yeah, publicly. We're just like airing our dirty laundry on Twitter publicly and everyone, everyone looking at it is like, yikes, this is kind of intense. Yeah. So, and I think and people are well-meaning. I mean, people are passionate about, about these things. I just wonder if there's a better forum that we could have those discussions and, yeah. and, and be able to have them candidly without being so public. Like, you know, you're having an argument in a glass box that people just kind of walk around. They're like, Oh, that's, yeah. what are they doing in there? That's, that's odd. So what, what is that forum then? Where does it, where do we go with, with all that stuff? Not we, I don't really participate in any of that. I only get on Twitter to tweet about my Bible studies, but <laughs> Because I'm a, a whatever, but where do where does that conversation go so that it's not as public? Do we just move everything to the DMs? The DMs, move, yes. Real, re, I mean, do we move? How do we get? How do we make an, an entire shift um, from that? Because like I can I can change on my own, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that the two dozen other people that are having the conversations on my feed or in my circle are also going to change just because I've changed. You know. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the toughest part is yeah. how do you, and you can't, like you can't force other people to change behaviors. We can model it. Um, and I think I, I love the phrase culture and it's used in organizational speak, but like culture is not taught, it's caught. Um, mm. So the idea that, you know, e- even in life teen, let's say, if I want to impart a certain culture, uh, I can teach that and be like, Hey, this is how we're going to be everybody. But if I'm not living that, uh, even if I am, that's not necessarily going to help people pick it up. But people catch culture by witnessing other examples. And I think that makes it a slow process, which is what's frustrating. We want something instant, but it's just not instant. I want the instant mashed potatoes equivalent of culture. I just want to put it in hot water and have it immediately. So you want American culture? That's so (laughs) gross. Instant mashed potatoes are one of the worst things. Don't talk smack on Hungry Jack. I can't. <laughs> he was my boy. I had, no, I had so much Hungry Jack growing up, and I just they're with everything and in smooth it. Smooth and oh man, smooth buttery. and creamy. And when they say yeah. instant, they mean instant. Like instant. you, you heat that water up, you put that stuff in. If you stand but too close, flakes, you breathe it you in. You breathe in some flakes. potatoes, but oh man, it's yeah. mm. it's quick. This is a pro Hungry Jack podcast. <laughs> I and I will will agree to disagree. <laughs> But See, I don't this like is the forum. Potatoes. This is the forum for disagreement. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the we're forum. In a, we're in a glass potato box. Um, Joel, I think you brought up. I think you begged a very interesting question that I'm I'm curious about, and I think I would love to get maybe an inside look. Um, how does Life Teen as an organization not uh, turn inward and turn 
outward, like you were talking about, because I think for it's different for every group, like a parish obviously has different challenges turning outward versus turning inward in a, and a doing something like focus or working as a youth minister. Like those are all different, right? So an apostolate like life teen is very um, special in that regard. So I was just, if you had like, what as an organization, what does that look like for you guys and what has it looked like? And what do you, what's the, what's the future? I think I can speak from a resource perspective because that's where I, yeah, 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 that's where I live, you know, especially, um, is continually trying to get better and improve. And the only way that that happens, uh, one, because we feel the mission's worth it. Our goal is to create uh, the the best resources in youth ministry. And uh, I think one could read that and say, oh man, that that's humble. You know, create the best resources in youth ministry. But I think if you're doing anything, like any apostolate, you know, net, focus, um, the people over at Augustine Institute, Ascension, yeah. like all of those people, we should all have the same goal and say, when we sit down at work today, we want to make the best yeah. things possible because the gospel deserves the best things possible. And so our goal is to make the best youth ministry resources possible that will help youth ministers become empowered to become authentic evangelists. So in order to do that, it requires continually looking at what other people are doing, not only across you know, our quote unquote industry, but across uh, cross sections of what are people doing in different realms, even non-religious realms to run small groups, to help encourage behavior change and behavior modification, to impart values, and then taking the best of that and saying, all right, how does that inform what we do? And I think being continually critical of ourselves and receiving the criticisms other, others offer, I think that helps you from getting real inward focus. Because once we get inward focus, that's when you start to receive criticism and say, oh, those people, they don't, they don't know anything. They don't have any, any idea what this takes or what we're doing, or you look at other people and you say, Oh, that's never going to work. That idea is never going to happen because we, we know better. I think it's looking at anything and saying, Oh, that's interesting. How are they doing that? Is there value to how we might do something like that? Or here's a criticism we've received. Let's look at the validity of that and how we might be better from that. And I think that's, it's humility at the end of the day. It's, mm. it's having a sense of humility and that's what keeps you from becoming inward focused and inward focus is really pride at the, I mean, even personally, like mm. if I become inward focused, that bears fruit and pride and that ultimately is destructive. A sense of segue. <laughs> One of those like fun carts that mall cops drive around. Yes. <laughs> Precisely. Those are the best. Um, no, meaning into talking about your book. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, when, but but first, I have something to kind of bounce back on that. I, I, uh, my my priest, who is Father Anthony, um, he tweeted something yesterday slash said it in person. Sometimes I forget which is which, but that like giving giving criticism sometimes just gives us a semblance of control. Like just pointing at things and saying like that sucks and here's why makes us feel like we're doing something. And in that, in that sense, that's, that's a way to like be inward focused, just like pointing at the organization and looking like here's everything that's wrong with us. And then you feel like you have some kind of control over that. And you think you're super smart for being smart enough to see what's wrong. Where in reality, you're just, you're not really contributing anything. Yeah. I, I have a question for both of you. Cause you're both in the youth ministry space. Um, and this, this is particular to, to the resources that you're talking about, Joel. Like, how do we prevent um, ministry from becoming too resource dependent? Um, because, yeah, like, obviously, we have 
scripture and the magisterium and it's easy to just like i know that every resource that you guys create is founded in those things which is awesome but like how do we prevent ministers from just like oh i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hop on over to these resources and uh that'll i feel like that could lead ministry to becoming stale at times Where, where's the balance there for you and for patrick like wh- where do you guys see I think keeping the focus and when we train with resources, we say this explicitly, but keeping the focus on the point of ministry is to build relationships and make disciples. So resources do that only insofar as they empower a person Mm -hmm. to do that heavy lifting. Um, I can't sit with a teenager at every parish and walk them through their parents' divorce. I can't sit down and proclaim the gospel message to the eighth grader who has no clue why he should even believe in God. I can't lead a small group discussion, but I can create a resource that would empower other people to do those things. And that's where the hard work takes place. I think when we start to look at a resource as, oh, if I get this thing Mm -hmm. and do it exactly like they tell me to do it, uh, then, then every, then I'll make, then it'll be great. I'll make disciples. I'll have numbers. The kids will enjoy it. The youths will love it and it'll Mm -hmm. be great. And I think when you get that mentality, that's, where things just completely fall apart. But if we say, well, it's about building relationships and these resources take time off my plate that I'd have to develop content for anyway and allow me to do something better with it and Mm. ultimately more impactful, that's where things really shine. Yeah, and if you you look through the the Life Teen life nights which i've been doing so i i was a little hesitant to just get life teen because i was like well i mean i i paid to go through college so i should be able to like write my own i've already thing. got a theology i have a th- and I, I was like i was like why why but as as in my first couple of weeks i was like hold on and i'm, I'm thinking through this and i'm like every week i have to write this out and then i have to give this to my core team and then explain it to them and i have to do this weeks and weeks and weeks in advance eventually i need i need some kind of help because i can i can do bare minimum like here's what we're talking about this week and like i know a lot of the stuff that's in the life team curriculum. So why do I need it? Well, because the life team curriculum isn't, isn't just, it's not just for, for me, it's for the entire ministry. Right. And like I hand the life nights to my core team and they read it and they grow as disciples, right? Like they're built up and empowered and they, they read the scripture references and the catechism references and they take that to prayer. Right. And then they're, then I help them be better at relational ministry, right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like spending all my time writing and reading through the catechism and, and the Bible and like trying desperately to like write an essay on the theology of the body. Instead, I can, I have that stuff already there, like all the information, right? And then I can spend my time working one-on-one with my core team, getting to know them as people, answering their questions about their teens, right? Um, and I think, I think, I think that's how you stop relying on resources is you just outsource the writing so that you have more time to spend as a relational minister. Right. So like, and then, and then of course they're, yeah, cause relational ministry isn't something that you can just like read a book on and figure out how to do. You kind of have to just do it. Really? I, sorry, I was just going to. I was going to make a joke. I don't want to joke at anybody's expense. So carry no, on. No, 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 please, please go ahead. I was just, I was going to say, well, as long as you read forming intentional disciples, you're good to go. <laughs> no, you totally are. It's, <laughs> it's the only book you need. Well, I think I, and again, with that, I think you, there are books out there that 
can provide the empowerment and like, oh, here's how I get started. But to Patrick's point, you know, if you read Forming Intentional Disciples, but you never go and live those things and even fail at those things, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, then it's great to have the knowledge, but you can't go out and then, oh, I, I tried it and it didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? I'll go back and, and figure that out. And I think that's why people fear relational ministry because ultimately sometimes it might mean we fail and that hurts. Like when you invest in somebody relationally and you let them down or they walk away or you do or say something that, uh, that pushes them away from the faith, which can sometimes happen, that stings. And so I think a lot of people look at a resource like, well, if I hide behind that though, then I can do one of two things. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have to relationally invest or if it doesn't work, I can blame the resource and I don't have to, look at myself or the student or the, or yeah, or the, yeah, I, can I hear the all the time. They just didn't get it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Oh, these kids don't want to come to, to CCD. They don't, they don't listen. They don't sit down. And it's like, all right, that's true. Keep in mind. They are 12. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they do want to run around. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Joel, when you graduated uh, the first time, did you go straight into ministry? I did. Yeah. So I went into ministry uh, full-time in 2007 after I graduated with my undergraduate degree. In religious studies from the University of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Oshkosh. I need to be clear about that. It was not the one in Madison. I was in a band and we didn't want to break the band up. So I (laughs) went to school there. The band name? Yeah. Was Infinity Theory. And if MySpace didn't lose 12 years of music, you could go online and listen to it. But unfortunately, they did. So what, what was the they style lost of Infinity music? Theory's discography? Yeah, the whole thing, yeah. the anthology of. And shame on us for believing they could keep it safe. Yeah, was it? Like, uh, we were a heavy metal band. Heavy? He, were you the front man? I was. Oh my goodness! So you can you can scream and keep your voice intact. At one time in my life, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Could I do it now? I don't know. I don't, do not try it now. Your voice is too we precious. Need, we need an Infinity Theory reunion tour. <laughs> Come to Tulsa and Pittsburgh, and that's those are your only two. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's just theory. literally us in the audience. Like it's just me. Just going, yeah. I can confirm one attendee will be at each show. Maybe. Yeah, that's you charge what ten bucks for a ticket. That's enough for everybody to get like a burger at McDonald's. We'll take care <laughs> of you. Yeah, see, I appreciate that because we used to not charge for shows. That was part of the issue. Is really? We were, I would yeah, pay $10 we this, to see Infinity Theory. Yeah, I know. We were like, oh, it's for the people. We need to go play shows. We're gifting them with our music. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting paid and exposure. Well, yeah, and then we'd be like, oh, we'll, we'll sell our CDs, but we won't really push it. So we'd be like, hey, guys, here's this CD. It's normally ten dollars, but like you know, I mean, whatever you've got is cool. You were the and opposite then, you know, people of are chance. like, I've got two quarters, and you're like, great, man, awesome. At least you got the album. You you were the exact opposite of Chance the Rapper. You're not charging for shows, but you're making all of your money on album sales. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't make money on album sales. People would give us nothing. They'd be like, <laughs> oh, I've got like two bucks, and we'd be like, that's cool, man. I'll take your two dollars. You know. <laughs> How much did we make of that show? Fourteen dollars and thirty-seven cents. Split that six ways. Split that six ways. Yeah, oh. that's that's a hard life. I'm I'm glad you got out of it. <laughs> yeah, we were gonna we thought we were gonna make it, and then we hit this point. Actually, the band broke up the third year I was a full time youth minister. So I was still I was doing full time ministry, and I was in this band, and we had this decide like 
decision where we said, Hey, this is either we're going to really go for it, or this is a hobby. And if it's a hobby, none of us have time for this hobby. <laughs> we decided it was a hobby. We didn't have time for the hobby. Cause I know that, that ministers usually have to have a side gig to like eat. Um, and you picked a very non-lucrative side gig. Yeah. That's the thing as a side hustle. It was terrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause if you, if you left ministry or you started ministry in like what 2000, you said you left college in 2007. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. When heavy metal was ending. Yeah. And the kind of heavy metal that we played was like that new metal rage against the machine, Papa Roach ah. kind of style. And that was, yeah, that was on its way out. People were, were done oh, with it. God. I don't How- know if I've listened to rock music in in a while <laughs> i exclusively listen i exclusively listen to podcasts now so yeah same the the whole point i asked about uh your graduation was i was curious like what are some of the the first failures that you encountered that kind of led you to to have the outlook on ministry that you have today because that was like 12 years ago so what do you remember kind of some of those first mistakes that you were making as a minister um, that could potentially benefit two young bucks, uh, <laughs> like Patrick and myself who are in their first years of doing ministry out of college. And also anybody who's listening, who desires to know about how you messed up and may or may not be a young buck. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I think the two of you are in my experience farther along than I was when I got out of college. <laughs> We're out here. I'll affirm you both. <laughs> you flatter Thanks, us. Thanks, Bill. I think some of the things that I made that are just vivid in my mind were thinking that I had come to save the, the parish and the teens. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a conversation with somebody being, I was 21 when I started 21, 22, I turned 22 that first year. And somebody said, you're young, all the adults, you know, they're going to struggle to respect you. The adults, meaning the volunteers, the core leaders. And so you need to be like the alpha dog and really, you know, kind of flex on, on your core team. That's bad advice. Yeah, because <laughs> I but I thought like otherwise they're not going to listen to me or respect my authority, and as a result, I didn't listen well. I communicated poorly. Uh, I didn't put good uh, systems in place, and so I wound up being the young guy who couldn't respond to emails, didn't give out the schedule on time, and tried to do everything himself, and that wasn't good. I told one of the adult core members they had some conflict the year prior to me being hired and she was trying to like fill me in and just say, Hey, these are real issues we're having as a team. And I was so frustrated. Like, don't waste my time with your issues from last year. This is the new thing. And so I really, honestly, I looked at this lady and I said, I don't care what happened last year. Awful. I mean, but I don't know what I was thinking. I was an idiot. Uh, And she quit understandably. So she should have quit because basically I said to her, your experience, your feelings, what you're wrestling with. I don't care about it. And what a horrible message to send. So a lot of uh, hubris in that first year. Um, And about midway through after everything had tanked out pretty bad, core members had quit. uh, And and a lot of it was my fault. I finally got introspective and said, what am I doing wrong? And I wasn't communicating efficiently. I wasn't listening. I wasn't being an empathetic leader. And I thought that I had to do everything and be the alpha dog and those were all the wrong mentality to have about ministry. Shoot. Because you do, you do feel, you do feel like you have to do everything. That's like a real feeling when you first start your job, you're like, well, at least I'm like, huh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's being paid to be here. So like, I, I, I feel, I feel weird. Like 
um, asking core team to do a lot of work because I'm like, I'm the one who's paid to be here, so I should do a lot of work. But then I'm like, oh, wait, I can't actually do all of this. And you guys have different skill sets than I do. So I, I've started I've started delegating. And first of all, it feels great because some of these some of these parents, some of these core team members, they know a lot more than I do. And like asking their advice and like letting them letting them put me on the rack and like tell me what I'm doing wrong. It's first of all, first, it, it, it sucks a little bit. It's really humbling. But also I, I've, I've been learning and I've realized that if or at least I, I'm starting to realize that if even though I'm young and don't know everything people know that and they don't expect me to know everything <laughs> totally i want yeah. to uh, john acuff is one of my favorite writers um he's written a couple different books but in one of them i forget which one i think it's start he says uh and this is a loose paraphrase he says that one of the highest forms of narcissism is believing you'll be good at something right away mm-hmm. and that just really resonates with me because i'm like yeah like and we enter into things i think in youth ministry there's a pressure too because especially if you have a degree like in theology uh, and you've gone to, as you said, gone to school for it, I think sometimes inadvertently pastors can put that pressure on youth ministers and it's not an intentional thing, but like, Hey, I hired you because like, I want you to write the resources because you have a degree in that. And I need you to give the teachings because that's your thing. And these other people are sort of around, but I think leaning into their skill sets, like you're doing, that's huge. And being willing to learn and have the humility to say, Hey, I want to be the dumbest person in the room so huh. that uh, all those people who are way smarter than me, I've recruited a great team. And those are the people who are, I'm going to make sure they're empowered. And if you can do that in your first year, you're just light years ahead of people who are even veterans in ministry. Joel, I love how you keep bringing up the humility thing. Like you're just really, it's much, it's not like I'm, this is a hundred percent sincere comment it must be something that you've legitimately like prayed through a lot and worked on a lot um, in yourself. And I can tell that like through the book and through just how you talk about um, ministry. And so I'm just, I'm curious, I think humility, um, I gave a talk on humility a while ago. We've been talking about it on the podcast. I think it's especially for the age groups that Pat and I work with high school, college, it's one of the hardest things to get people to understand because we're, this is the prime age where it's like, I know everything, leave me alone. (laughs) Um, And it's one of the, one of the hardest things to show because it feels like you're just doing absolutely nothing and nobody's paying attention to you and nobody's listening. Um, And so there's, there's a lot of humility required in, in perseverance and loving people, even though it seems like they're not really paying attention to you or listening to you or uh, caring about what you're caring about. And I, yeah, like if you could just give maybe your thoughts on like overview of like, yeah, when you're working with people who are, um, who just don't seem to care or who maybe are, have one foot in one foot out lukewarm. It's like there, there is a lot of humility required there. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, how we, how we ought to approach that. Um, Cause you literally wrote the book. So I'm hoping that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to this episode of The Crunch. Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation, but I wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We will be back right after this. I think this is going to sound weird, okay. but I think one of the keys to having humility in ministry 
is actually having self-confidence. And what I mean by that is being able to be secure in who I am, having a developed sense of self of who I am before God. Because when we do that and we say, all right, I am a sinner in need of a savior and I stand before the Lord and he looks upon me in Christ as a new creation and he sees me. That's enough. Everything else beyond that, that I do in ministry then is only an extension of that identity, but it is not my identity. And I think in ministry, it gets really easy for people, especially in the Catholic church to get bound up with this idea that like, this is how I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And then when things happen, like I get criticism or there's an anonymous account online that's saying bad things about me, or I am not seeming to satisfy the desires that my priest has for this ministry. And he just seems cold and distant and not affirming. If we don't have a sense of who we are in Jesus and that being our principle and key identity, then all of those things really get to us and we can't be humble because we push back against them. Right. So then we get yeah. criticism from a parent. And now instead of having a sense of self, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to consider that. I'm going to pray through that criticism. I'm going to receive it humbly because at the end of the day, that criticism doesn't determine who I am. Um, then we push back and we say, no, you're wrong. Or if we really feel like, you know, Ethan, we're not seen. Um, but we're able to step back at the end of the day and be like, man, I don't feel like anybody noticed anything I did today. But the Lord saw that. And you know what? The Lord sees me and is pleased with me beyond the work that I do. Now I can humbly accept being forgotten. Uh, that one line in the litany of humility, you know, from, from the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. I can deal with being forgotten because I know who, that the Lord remembers mm -hmm. who I am. Or if I'm attacked by people who don't know me and say hurtful things, um, I'm able to disassociate with that peace, even though it still stings and it still is hard and say, you know, that's another person who's struggling like I am um, and is loved by God as I'm loved by God. And at the end of the day, I can't expect everybody to like me mm. and that's okay. Yeah, so I think having that sense of self actually is what fuels humility. Uh, the most humble people are people who knew themselves well. And I think that's key in ministry, especially because a lot of people in ministry have an underdeveloped sense of who they are. Mm. And that requires them to grab other pieces uh, to fill in holes and gaps that exist in themselves. And that's, that's at its best unhealthy and at its worst dangerous. Yeah. Because then you spend your entire time, like chasing after other people's opinions and approval, et cetera, et cetera. I told, I told my teens on Sunday, like if you give other people the power to give you your identity, you've given them the power to take it away too. And that's so good. That's awesome. That you yeah. should tweet that. Seriously, I, <laughs> no, that's great. That's a great line. Well, what was what was really interesting was I was I was doing I was doing a night on the incarnation and I didn't know why but like that idea kept coming to me and then I like and then all of a sudden in the middle of talking I was halfway through I realized I was halfway through um explaining like the journey of the Israelites away from God and back to him like trying to find their identity in the world and then God's like no your identity is in me and so it I've I've had a lot of even in these first couple of weeks I've had a lot of um experiences of like it's so good because I'm like, this actually isn't my power that I do this. It's that the Holy Spirit in the moment will tell me what to say and will work through me. And it's like, it's so freeing. It's just so freeing. And like last night I was, I was presenting, um, I was presenting the, our new middle school youth ministry model to all of the catechists. And it's all people who've worked in, worked in CCD since like the 1980s. And I'm like, 
I'm this young kid. I'm about to come in and say, Hey, everything's about to change. And I just lay it down. (laughs) But I, I, I felt so like anxious the whole time. I was like, I was like, what if they like reject what I have to say? What if I don't say it right? And like, I went up and I like held my rosary in my hand and I, I presented it and I like immediately had like such confidence and I spoke so well. And I was like halfway through, I was surprised with myself. And I was like, this is because I'm not letting my brain do the talking. I'm letting God do the talking. And that confidence like allowed the Holy spirit to speak through me. You're so right. That's good. I need to remember that and write that down. Yeah. I think that I, I love that. I think the the key when you let God speak through you and this is the other challenge is that you kind of, uh, you, you leave with nothing. You totally have empty hands mm-hmm. because you come in and you say, all right, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to do all the things I need to do to do the ministry. I've been given stewardship of well, but, but then at the end of the day, I get to leave it. You get one of two options. You get to leave it all on the field, the good or the bad and say, you know, here, this talk, this dynamic, this small group was amazing tonight. And Lord, uh, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Um, and and just thank you for who you are as God. Uh, and then I let that go. And then conversely, I'm able to say, man, that was a really rough night. Lord, help me to see how I can grow. And at the end of the day, I trust that your grace is still present um, because I'm striving to do the best that I can. Uh, the flip side is, as you pointed out, Pat, is like that we then take our identity from it. So then we're like, oh, I crushed that talk. I'm just killing the youth ministry game right now. Yeah, it's amazing. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm saving this parish. Uh, but then the flip side is when we fail, that's all on us too. We've got to say, I am a failure. And, and I think that's- That's so much that's, pressure. Yeah, that's Un- so much- pressure. Unnecessary pressure. Mm. I definitely used to do that when I was in high school. Like that was hands down who I was when I would like give a witness or a talk, like we, we would do, we did like student, student ministry and like peer leadership and all that stuff. I would go up and give a talk and I would like, I crushed my first witness and I was like, yeah, I'm like so good at evangelization or I'd like hop on the internet and type until my fingers bled. Cause I like, I knew apologetics so well and I knew how to look up things on catholic.com. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very much like I am, I define myself based on my successes and my failures. Um, and, it, that that's still something that I'm working through, right? I still have that temptation to define myself by my failures. Yeah. I like, even just yesterday, I, I led a Bible study and I like used an example or like a metaphor. And afterwards I was thinking like, man, that didn't make any sense. Like I shouldn't have <laughs> said that. It's so stupid, Ethan. And, but then I was folding my laundry and I was like, you know what? The Lord will do something with it. And that's, that's the, the, the attitude that we have to have, right? It's just, we can, we can work and we can do our absolute best. And like, yeah, we have purity of intention and all that stuff. And it's all about trusting that the Lord will fill in the gaps um, in everything that we do and not saying like, we don't have to, we don't have to take it to the finish line because Jesus already did straight up. So we just have to roll up every single day, try to grow in virtue with all of our, all of our mind and all of our strength, love the Lord, pray, receive the sacraments, and then bam, the world will be changed. What more do you need? This is Ethan Stevie signing off. <laughs> <laughs> and we never heard from him again. Yeah, he's, he's gone. <laughs> he was assumed in that moment. <laughs> he walked into the woods to say rosaries oh, until he starved to death. <laughs> and that day, Ethan logged off. Um, I... I'm kind of stuck on 
the whole notion of self-worth and like being tied up in our identity and who where our our identity is found i think that's just this is maybe it's been said before but it's such a i want to say the word crisis because we have too many crises uh it's a it's an issue that everybody's dealing with is where is my identity is my identity in schools my identity in my fraternity or my sorority is my identity in my my sports teams my identity in any of these things and nobody is living out not nobody it's so rare to see people living out um, an identity that was a good identity that was given to them this is something that catching foxes talked about like two weeks ago last week i don't remember but they gomer was reading like a book and it was a parenting book and it was all about how um, like strong parents who give their children identities um, are so important and so needed because if children aren't given identity specifically by their parents then they're going to find it everywhere else and that's an interesting role that we have to play as like the people who have to kind of pick up those pieces for all of these this generation that we work with that was not given an identity by their parents and instead found it through tv the internet movies um pop culture all that stuff and that's it's a weird spot to play because you can't be the parent but you also kind of have to be it's i don't really know where the balance is yeah i think that's that and i think the answer comes in directing people back to who god is mm -hmm. which is the challenge in ministry because there are a lot of pieces and the reality is nothing we do as youth ministers is going to completely correct some of those challenges, but we can point people towards the one who can. Yeah. Um, I once did a little bit of math, which I'm not good at and I don't <laughs> like, but I figured out if a teen is at their most involved in a youth group from freshman year of high school to senior year of high school, and you take a look at all the retreats and the activities and stuff that they do with the youth group and all the interaction points they have with the youth minister, and then you take that person's life and you compress it down as though it were a 24 hour day, the time that they would spend at youth group would equate to about a 30 to 60 second commercial. Dang. And now here's the thing. There are some commercials though you see, and they kind of make you think and they jar you out of your, you can see something in 30 to 60 seconds that makes you rethink things and can even alter the course of, of your trajectory. Yeah. That happens, but we have to make sure that we're pointing people we're giving people an image of a God who's compelling enough to change our trajectory. And I think that's the subtle nuance in saying, I am a new creation in Christ versus, which is, it's a true statement, but like Christ lives in me. Because I think that second statement can be misinterpreted by teens in the culture they grow up at as Jesus is just one more puzzle piece to my identity that I plug mm. into myself among all the other identities that I plug into myself. And that requires that our image of Jesus is smaller than we are so that we can plug it into yeah. us. And a lot of the different studies that are out about youth and religion right now validate that. The teens see Jesus as like, nice, he's a good guy. I like to have him as a part of my life sometimes, but it's not where I find my whole identity versus me saying I am found completely all that I am is in Christ. And when I do that, I'm new. So I find my identity in Christ versus finding Christ as a part of my identity. And, and it's Christ, subtle, but I think it's so important for teens. And if Christ was smaller than our identity, the incarnation never would have happened. 
totally. the, very, the very fact that he can assume our identity means that he's bigger than us. And that, that, that's, that's, that, was, that was how I tied the whole identity thing to the incarnation was like, we don't find our identity in each other. We find our identity in the fact that Jesus came. We had our sonship in the garden. We, our sin, we abandoned that sonship and Christ came as a human being to give us his own sonship. And through the church, we come to share in his sonship. It's like, receive your identity from him. I was talking to this, this, this girl who's, um, she came to my youth group and she's agnostic. And she said exactly what you were saying, Joel. She was like, religion, I think, is a good thing for people to have. They find good things in it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's very true. But here's where Christianity is different. It's not about an ideology. It's not about a bunch of practices. It's not even really about a bunch of traditions. It's about a big person. It's about a big person. And this person is bigger than you. This person is bigger than like the, your daily routine. And this person wants you to be a part of him. And I, I don't think she'd ever heard Christianity presented like that before. Because she was just like, oh, all, all other religions are equal, et cetera, et cetera. But like, no, 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 this is different. It's not a prophet. It's not an idea. It's not a book. It's a, it's a person. It's a guy who exists and you can talk to. And I think in that, that's why we say absolutely. And it requires an act of, and Ethan, I know you'll appreciate this, an act of humility, right? Here we go. <laughs> because to look at something bigger than me and to say, at the end of the day, I am not the ultimate authority in my life. I mm. cede that authority to this higher power who is bigger than I am. Uh, and I can't make a part of me, but uh, is something that takes all of me that require, that's a humble act of faith. Uh, the simple statement, you know, God, you're God. And I'm not. Yes. The. Pat, what were you saying right before that? Right Sorry, before, before what Joel just said, I was talking about how Christ is bigger Identity. than us. Crisis. Christ is bigger than us. I was talking about how he needs to be bigger than our identity because he assumed our identity. Mm. I had a really good thought and then it, it dissipated. I'm so sorry. It'll come back eventually. I, it will. It will. They all do. They, they always come back. They all... <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading, I was reading uh, the catechism of the Catholic church today. Um, part, Yay. part four on prayer. And I was like, Oh, I remembered it. Sorry. Oh, nice. Go, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> I was. I just wanted to comment on the the bizarre phenomenon of people just referring to even uh, Christians and Catholics talking about their faith as "quote unquote" religion, and this this weird. And I'm, not that I'm not religious, and not that I don't have a religion. We do have a weird religion. obsession with that word. It's such a strange word, and it's it's. I don't know if it's from a just a misconception or nobody actually having a relationship with Jesus, which is probably the more likely of the, of all the options, but that exactly what the encounter that you had with that agnostic teen is. I think we have to teach people to change the way that they talk about their faith. And that precludes um, this whole conversation about like identity, right? Cause if, if, if religion is just this thing that you have or this thing that you do, then nobody will care about it because it's just the same as like watching anime or baseball. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like I, you can have your thing, your hobbies, your free time. And I can have my thing, my hobbies, my free time. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. There's this cultural reluctance to be all in on anything. And that's where I think it comes from is talking about religion as this part-time 
part of your thing, part of your deal, part of your hobby. Because nobody wants to go all in on anything. Well, yeah, cause because if you go all in on most things, that means you're addicted to it. Yeah. You like, know? You can't, <laughs> but if you go like, all in on Jesus, you're not. <laughs> imagine, imagine the ridicule that even you would earn from me if you were all in on, I don't know, The Office, Harry Potter, <laughs> right? Like these things that are so temporal and stupid and not that they're, you know what I mean? Like it, it just doesn't matter. But we, we do, I mean, we do praise people though, who go all in on some things like, yeah. so there are people who would say, wow, that person dedicated their entire life to, uh, serving, uh, in, in third world countries yeah. that, and, and then we, we praise that. We're like, that's incredible. And it is, it's absolutely admirable. Or we even do it like down to level with like sports. Um, this basketball player trained however many hours a day and Kobe you know, Ron James, he's the best <laughs> that there's ever been. And, and there's though not everybody's on board with it, but a lot of people look at that, like, wow, it's, it's almost admirable that you've gone all in on that piece yeah. because we look at those things as not necessarily inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to, I had a conversation with a parent when I was a youth minister once where they were asking, why does my teen have to go to this confirmation stuff? It takes us so much time. And I said that I'm like, well, you know, we don't, we praise teens for dedicating extra time above and beyond for a sport, for a hobby, for a skill, for school. Like we praise that. We're like, yeah, like you go, you be all in. But yeah, when it comes to Jesus, I mean, and there's so many complicated things that we could nerd out about on that from like the view of what religious affiliation is from affiliation to fanaticism after 9-11 and how before that being all in was not a bad thing. But then after nine 11, we equated being all in on religion to fanaticism, which is bad. Interesting. Um, you know, all the way down to just it's, I was it's five years that. old when that happened. So I have no like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's the thing be prior to that people like, uh, you know, the new atheist uh, Hitchens Dawkins were outlier voices in the atheist community at the push with atheists prior to that was, let's all come together on humanism. You know, you're religious. We're not religious, but we agree on some things. How can we dialogue and interact? But after nine 11 voices like Hitchens and Dawkins became more prominent yeah, became because people were thing. scared. And it was like, and they felt validated. Like, look, see, this is what happens when you become too religious. Ignore the fact that this is a fringe group of uh, Islam that some Muslims would say is so far removed from Islam. It doesn't even look like Islam. Um, you know, the same way that we'd look at the Westboro Baptist church and be like, that's not a Christian group. Uh, but that was just enough to get people thinking, Ooh, I, I, I don't want to be too religious because I don't want to look like that. Yeah. I do. I do think there, there is some kind of, when there, when there is an admiration of, um, of, of religious, not, I guess, fanaticism. Yeah. So like, we do we do have this cultural understanding that Mother Teresa is awesome unless you're unless you're unless you're Chris, Richard yeah unless you're Hitchens yeah um, we do have this like comment like I'm I'm somewhere between Hitler and Mother Teresa right so we have this paragon of of goodness versus this paragon of human badness right um, there there is some kind of admiration and like I did I did see this in um, in my high school I had a conversation with a friend after. Um, after so I, I gave my I gave my my senior baccalaureate speech and I was talking to my friend Caitlin who was not religious and I was like I was like I wonder why um, our our senior class like as a whole doesn't really view God as something important and something that you know and she was like well Patrick like you 
she she told me that she told me that like I had reached she told me that she said that I had reached a level that was beyond high schoolers and that people see me and they think I can never be that holy. And I was like, well, first of all, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But why? I think I think that's the other thing is is we either um, think that it's not worth going all in for for religious reasons or for in our into our faith, or we think that it's impossible to go in because I'm gonna have to give up who I am. I'm gonna lose my my identity that I've crafted for myself. I'm gonna lose it. And if I go all in, I'm just I'm just not holy enough. Um, and I think that's a point of pride too, right? Because you're saying, well, I'm not strong enough to do everything, and I'm only going to do things that I'm strong enough to do. So I'm not going to do that. So I think that those are two reasons why people don't go all in in their faith. Yeah, and there's a there's a reluctance to get stronger. You know, yeah, like absolutely. Nobody's nobody's trying to to take the time. It's like I, there must be like a weird philosophical. Um, movement that explains it and I, I'm not smart enough to know um, no point in getting any smarter um, <laughs> but it's but it's there's there's got to be there, yeah maybe it is postmodernism of like you are you were born and you were what are we told our whole lives like you are you are meant to be like great at, at something you just have to find out what that is you know and so it's like every time you're bad at something it's like oh must not be the thing that I'm great at and so huh. you, you move <laughs> on to another thing <laughs> it's kind of that yeah that's a good point yeah, and so it, it comes to prayer, which is something that is a struggle for everyone. And it's like, oh man, I'm not good at prayer. You know, I don't, I can't, I can't relate to this this God that is invisible and all powerful and all knowing. It's like, oh, big whoop, you know, join the freaking club. Like everybody struggles with that. So it's it's this. Yeah, I, I think there's a it, individualism has something to do with it of like thinking, oh, there's a thing that I'm good at somewhere, and I'll find it. Um, and a desire to not be a part of a community in that way of like, yeah, I want to, I want to forge my own path, do my own thing. I need to be the sole good person at one thing. And in that sense, you're just alone. Right. Yeah. But can't we be, I mean, can't we be just as subversive? I think within the, our, as we're forming young people and even in our church community with some of the things we say, again, inadvertent phrases, but like playing into that idea of like, be great at something, you know, find your greatness when we misquote that i i love that pope benedict the 16th misquote which is like you were made for greatness mm-hmm. um it, like you were not made for Comfort. for a med- mediocrity i'm trying to think of the because it's not a real quote so i don't i haven't even committed it to memory but like the idea you were made for greatness um when the real quote is man was made for greatness for god himself which is different than hey you were made to be great well great at what but if I say, hey, you were made for greatness, and that is found by being put into God himself, that's that's how you become great. Um, that's how you find who you are. We say things like, you know, become the best version of yourself, which if you're holy, you, have to you be are the, the best, best version, version of yourself. yourself. Best version of yourself. Yeah. Best version that's the thing. And, and which, is, which is true. If I'm holy, I am the best version of myself. Yeah. But if that's not explained or contextualized, then it's like, well, I, how do I become the best version of myself? And Money. now I'm the savior again. And yeah, that's yeah. problematic. Yeah, and in back back to what Ethan was saying about prayer, connecting to what Joel said earlier about like uh, the the greatest the greatest narcissism is thinking you have to be the best at something right away. When when like Ethan was saying, when we find when we try to when we try to be made for when we try to be great just in human in human in the human sense of the word, and we try to pray or we try to study theology or we try to do this that or the other thing, and we're not good at it right away, it causes us to run because we can we perceive ourselves to be failures and that's all that i have but yeah i thought that was i thought that was a good i just wanted to make that connection because it was a good connection (laughs) 
So um, I was reading the catechism today. There you go. I was Sorry. Saying, so yeah, the, yeah. And this actually does connect. So it, I was reading the section on prayer and I was sitting there. I was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to pray before the podcast. And I was like, I really want to read the section on prayer, but I should read something on humility. Whatever. I'll read it on prayer. Turns out like in the, in part four of the catechism, the third paragraph in that section is about how the first act of prayer is an act of humility. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And in, in order, in order to, in order to go before God, like we have to have this this profound humility and understanding that like God has called us to this. It's not something that we chose ourselves. And the most humble prayer that I talk about all the time, cause I love it is like a prayer of St. Francis. And it's just two sentences, two questions. Like who are you Lord? And who am I? And when I was teaching this to my teens, I was teaching them like, what do you guys want to pray? This is how you do it. Right? Like this is how you start that, right? Just start praying by just asking the Lord who he is and asking him who you are. Because you need to know both of those things. And you're going to keep growing in those things. And it's going to be really tough. And you're not going to figure it all out right away. But if you persevere, that's where holiness is. Um, the section on prayer says that like three things are necessary for, uh, for prayer in the Gospel of Luke. Perseverance, humility, and uh, urgency. Wow. Which, funnily enough, are the three names that I've given... Uh, I, was, I, I don't have any pets. Dang it. I was going to say. <laughs> Those are the names I've given my fists and one of my, my feet. Fists. You'll never guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> Not until it's too late. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I, so Pat, the, the thing that normally happens at the end of a podcast is happening. And so we need to just say, I don't wrap it up, but you know, we've been going for an hour. Joel. Uh, do you have any any final concluding thoughts? Any we've talked about a lot of things. Talk about ministry. Talk about identity. Talk about how to fix the world's problems with this one and only podcast. Uh, <laughs> how is there anything that you you kind of want to want to close us out on? I think to say one, humility is a work that takes a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of my biggest fears with writing the book, uh, chasing humility, uh, which you can get on Amazon.com uh, pre-sale. Uh, maybe by the time this podcast is out, it's available is that um, I would never want to be perceived as like an expert in that because I'm so struggling at it. But I think it goes with what we're saying. Like the desire to be great at something, it doesn't happen right away. Um, And humility is, is a continual work of finding myself in the Lord. And I love those two questions asking that is a prayer of humility, God, who are you? And asking that question first, because that's what matters. Who God is, is what matters. And then who do you say that I am? Uh, who am I in your eyes? And that's where I find my sense of self-worth. And if I have that sense of self-confidence, that is the only way to truly live humility without trying to grasp at these other pieces of affirmation that might form my identity. And that becomes critical for any disciple because it's what allows them to go out in the world and evangelize and proclaim the gospel um, and be able to do that in a witness of life that is compelling and outward focused rather than inward focus. And it becomes essential for people in ministry because it's the only way that they can function as whole ministers without becoming destructive or unhealthy because they're seeking affirmation, praise, uh, empowerment from their ministry versus saying, this is a part of what God has called me to do right now, but it is not how I am defined. Bang. This is one of those podcasts I'm going to have to go back and listen to. Listen to and take notes and actually like... (laughs) 
register it and then learn it and then do it and live it we did like a fantastically okay episode of on humility like two months ago (laughs) we did we did nothing compares um i've if i've learned one thing it's that i will stop at nothing to find infinity theory (laughs) mixtapes albums eps lps whatever they've got i'm scouring the internet for it (laughs) i'm hacking into myspace's servers we're gonna get it back when you find it, let me know. I oh, absolutely, I will, and I'll hold it okay. ransom and make you pay me fourteen dollars and thirty seven cents. Here was here was my here's here's my only issue with the band is that Infinity Theory does not sound like a heavy metal band. No, it, it sounds yeah. Like, I mean, we, yeah, we we did not do like yeah. I mean, it it's a name that evolved with us. It has yeah. nothing. Oh. The name has nothing to do with death or things being dark. Well, or, no, because the idea was that. The idea behind the name is this, and it's one of those things I'll be candid that we named, and then we established a meaning to the name later. Um, Classic, yeah. But the whole point why we didn't change the name was that if you create something um, that is is good, true, and beautiful, it exists like it ripples out into infin- infinity. Which nice. you know, at the time, is there's a bigger theology behind that because what is good, true, and beautiful is of the infinite one. So. Okay. Wow. All right. I worked pieces of theology into the band to try to convert my bandmates. Did it work? That's good. No. <laughs> Sad. Um, yes, this is good. Yeah. Joel, I want to, yeah, just give you a huge props for your book. I'm like two thirds of the way through it. Um, I'm really, really enjoying it. Having a lot of stuff to share with my teammates and, and just in prayer as well. So yeah, a lot of good stories that you put in there. Um, I love the one about you spilling the water on yourself. Uh, at the lunch table that one I've, I've talked about many times it's so it's so good um just want to give you a shout out for that and for all the work that you do for life team because if you didn't do that then my my buddy patrick would be peeing himself every single day trying to write resources for his teens because of you he doesn't have to do that so out, out. thank you because thank of you, so you my pants are dry and always will be amen um patrick do we have anything else for the people? I guess Patreon, uh, Facebook, Twitter. That's, you, that's really you know it. the places to find us. Uh, you know the places to find us. I you have can a new find website. Joel. <laughs> you can find Joel at at lt underscore jstaponic. I'm pretty sure isn't that your handle? That is correct. Yep. For Instagram and for Twitter. Yep. There you Everybody go. Uh, you can follow Life Teen at Life Teen uh, on pretty much everything. They put out lots of really good stuff. Good content for the people. Regardless of how old you are, I still go back and look at some of the life team stuff, um, even now that I'm 22, because it's just it's just solid, you know, timeless. So do that. Patrick, do we have anything else for the people? You were not made for comfort. You were made for humility. Wow. There we go. That was it. You were not made for comfort. That's the front part of that quote. <laughs> That's the attitude. Uh, yep. With this, I will close it out. Joel, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Cool. Thank you all for listening. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you, and we'll see you next week.